It's happy hour, folks. And I'm here with my friend, the super strategist, the incomparable, beautiful. Okay, all right. TGIF, guys. Well, there's, there's a few Thanks other things Thanks for joining we can say. us. Thanks I'm for joining I'm here with Adrian Elrod. Hey, Adrian. Hi, Doug. How's your day going, by the way? It's going well. I'm glad it's Friday. Uh, it's been a long week. It's been a good week. It's been a long week. And we've got some friends here who are who broke away from basketball. Come join us today. We have to talk a little bit about politics in the week. We are very happy they're here. Uh, speaking of basketball, are the Razorbacks in the tournament? Um, very funny. You That's are low. hilarious. Are you are hilarious. Are they No, in? we're not in the tournament. No. Okay. No. Well, my Maryland Terrapins are in the tournament. And, in fact, they won – this is on a Friday. This is the day after that the Terps won last night. So um, I'm feeling good. I'm feeling good. I, I, if you want to root for them, you're happy to join the bandwagon. If the listeners could see me right now, they would know that I'm wearing an SEC baseball cap with the SEC logo. I refuse to wear any Arkansas gear, period, any Razorback gear until we have a winning season in either basketball or football. That uh, may be five or ten years down the road, but I refuse to wear all of my Razorback memorabilia is like in the back closet. Well, my burn orange stuff is in, is in the corner. Yeah. You know, I, I one thing I uh, that first of all, Adrian loves to wear hats, and the thing that I really appreciate about Adrian, Adrian doesn't of, like to wash her hair sometimes, so she wears yeah, but baseball you know, caps on Fridays. You know, one of the best gifts I've got has been was from Adrian. She got me a Masters hat last year. I did, yeah, and I'm not going so this year, but it was really so fun. Sweet. Uh, all right. Okay. Happy hour. We're joined by uh, two of our closest friends, two top-notch Democratic strategists, Kristen Hahn, who is currently the senior Democratic strategist for the Blue Dogs. Uh, she's also a senior advisor at Rock Solutions, a, a, a public affairs and PR firm in Washington. And she spent a long time on Capitol Hill as a communications director for the Blue Dogs as well. And we are also joined by Rodell Molyneux, who, like me, is a big fan of professional wrestling. Uh, and so we Ooh. may we may we may actually have to have a conversation. Yeah, I know. It's so weird. Yeah, it's not really. It's not that weird. It is. Professional wrestling? It's really weird. Oh, come on. It's maybe creepy too. It's not, super creepy. No. Like, no, what well, we're talking it's more of like the, the wrestling from the past. It's not so much what's going on okay. now. Okay. Okay. You, you, you didn't like Hulk, Hulk Hogan or no. Ric Flair? No. no. Or the Undertaker. Now is this like wrestling or like WWF? Well, that is wrestling. Yeah, is wrestling. Okay, it's wrestling. All right. <laughs> okay. Adrian uh, and I like football, particularly from the South. Yeah. We do. So do we. So do we. We do. So Rodell is a Democratic strategist and partner at Rock Solutions, and has worked for some of the leading Democrats in the party over the year over the years. Harry Reid, uh, the former Majority Leader. Uh, he worked for Senator Mark Pryor from Arkansas and also for uh, Senator Daschle, who was uh, the leader of the Demo Senate Democrats for quite some time. So, guys, welcome to the Electables and welcome to the Electables Happy Hour. This is our first happy hour that we've done. And we could not think of two other people that we would like to uh, kick this off with. This, this is the only way I was coming on this podcast. Right. <laughs> We had to promise them uh, Bud Light and uh, or uh, rosé or white wine. Rosé all day. Yeah, yeah. Nothing uh, wrong with that. No. So, guys, um, how you doing? doing Kristen, great. how you doing? I'm good. I'm good. Um, 
like we said, we tore ourselves away from watching the basketball games to be here with you guys. But yeah. Well, we appreciate that because there's a there was a lot that happened this week yeah. in politics. I think we should start off by talking about the um, vice pre- former Vice President Joe Biden slash Stacey Abrams debacle, if you want to even call it that. Debacle. I don't know if it's really a debacle, it's a debacle. but it's a, I don't think it's a debacle. It's a situation. It's a situation. Um, you know, it was reported earlier in the week that Vice President Biden, former Vice President Joe Biden might pick Stacey Abrams as his running mate as part of his announcement. Um, and then as the day, as the week sort of wore on, it became more clear that perhaps this is not something that she would be interested in doing, or perhaps this was a, a bit premature on his part. Um, obviously it's unconventional. Um, but what do you guys think? I mean, does, does he need this? Is this something that you think he should do out of the gate? I can understand maybe five, six months down the road. But do we think this is something that he should do now? Just what are your thoughts on all of this? I mean, so. my gut reaction was that it was smart. And I think that, you know, you probably agree. He's got a, I mean, he's got this past, right? Anybody who's been in public life as long as he has, has a voting record that he's got to answer for. And coming straight out of the gates and doing something unconventional like that is, some, you know, a way he can differentiate himself from the pack. Yeah, I mean, a lot of this, I, I think this depends on whether or not you think he's a front runner or you think he's an underdog. You know, I think he's he in some ways is a front runner because of his name recognition, but that that can dissipate really quickly, especially as people get to know the other uh, the other candidates. If you think he's an underdog and an underdog only in the sense that, you know, he's the establishment Democrat in this race, if he decides to get in, uh, he's one of the older um, will be one of the older candidates and he's from a different generation. And, you know, to the extent that you believe that the primary electorate's getting uh, getting more liberal uh, and that he might be a fish out of water, then you see him as an underdog. I think this is brilliant. Um, brilliant if this is what Stacey Abrams wants to do, because I think it, it, it checks a lot of boxes. One is that it it shows a bridge to the future, um, because part of what the knock on Vice President Biden will be is that he's from a, um, a past generation of Democrats that we need to move forward, so on and so forth, um, putting a, an extremely intelligent African-American woman um, that not only has had appeal in the South, but I think across the country, shows that you're trying to bridge the divide between the past and the present. Um, and I think it, you know, um, I think Doug mentioned this before when we were uh, when we were just sitting here um, kind of talking. That's two people versus one. You got two people out there going out and crisscrossing all these states and everything like that. Um, so listen, I think it's great. She has to be part of it, though. I I. Apparently That's she key. is not like yeah. That's appar- key. Apparently she was not informed of these discussions. From what she we understand, not. from what we understand from our friends out there in the field. But look, I agree with you. I think it's really smart in a lot of ways. I do think, however, because of the I don't know if you really want to call it a botched rollout, because I'm not sure that there really was any sort of intentional rollout here. I think it was either a strategic leak or an an unintentional leak. But for whatever reason it got out there in the bloodstream. And there wasn't the sort of like simultaneous accolade coming from her team and her surrogates saying, yeah, or at least leaking back into the atmosphere. This is what she wants to do. We think it's great. There's also, and and as a consequence, there are a lot of people out there who are saying, well, gosh, what if she ran and he was her running mate or something? I mean, like, who is to say that she should be anybody's running mate because she's Stacey Abrams. She's a rising star. She can build her own coalition. Um, she's got national, huge national prominence, especially within the key base of our Democratic Party, the people who really turn out, do all the work and vote, which is African-American women. Doug, what do you think? 
So, look, I think if if Vice President Biden decides to do this, I think that it is important that he introduces himself and what his vision is for the country and what his message is for the country. I I actually don't think it would be wise for him to announce his candidacy and at the same time also say that I'm going to be pairing with Stacey Abrams. I think he does need some time. Everyone thinks he's a known, he is a known figure. He's got very high name ID. That's, you know, uh, obviously from eight years of being the vice president. But I think people want to know what he, what he, what his vision is for the country right now as a candidate. And so I think it's going to be, if he decides to go this way, and all of this has been a lot of room, you know, a lot of uh, speculation about, um, about, you know, some stories that leaked out, but I think it's going to be important. I would recommend that he would, he would actually introduce himself and his vision for the country and his message for the country and what he's going to campaign on and what his theory of the case is before, um, announcing that he's going to be pairing with, with Stacey Abrams or whoever. Uh, but let me, let me just say one last thing. I think it's, you know, it's actually interesting to me that, Something like this hasn't been contemplated in the past because, to Rodell's point, something we just talked about in the past uh, earlier is that, you know, when you have when you're paired up with someone, you can just be in multiple media markets uh, and raise more money. And mm-hmm. so, in this race, when you've got so many different people and you've got a lot of different, you not only are the early, you not only are you worried about the early primary states, but you also have Super Tuesday states. So. This allows for the Biden team to have someone in Iowa and also have someone in California or Texas. And I think that's really beneficial. And I'm surprised more I'm, I'm surprised more presidential campaigns, whether they're Republicans or Democrats, uh, haven't thought about this. Cruz did it with Fiorina, uh, with uh, Carly Fiorina. But yeah. And how much... well did that, did that one go? Yeah. But he was done at yeah. the point in which and, he announced. Yeah, but this like, kids I, table I mean, debate. To get to your point, when you said you'd rather see Biden roll out his vision for the future before he picks a vice president. I would say that picking her That's is part of his vision. Exactly. I mean, that is, is yep. the ultimate statement. What do I see? Mm-hmm. This is who I want. Well, I'm so, not, I'm not saying that. Uh, no, no, no. But I'm just saying that it can be in three weeks. But I just think that there's a period of time where he has to be on his own uh, establishing what he's going to campaign on and what his vision is. And then I think if she if he wants to announce that he's going to pick uh, Stacey Abrams as his uh, uh, VP pick, I think that that makes more sense than doing it all at once. But can I play, I, think- I just want yeah, one course. quick comment yeah. and then come to you. So I have one devil's ag- advocate point on what you just said, which is if he were to wait a couple weeks and then say, oh, by the way, here's my running mate, Stacey Abrams, and do a big splash or whatever, would that appear in the eyes of voters that he needs Stacey Abrams because he's realized after the first month or so that he can't run on his own. And that's well, actually, I just want to yep. build on that. Cause actually that's, that's where I was going with this too. Like we were all insiders. We follow this probably a lot more than a lot of other people do. We all know what the hits are going to be on Joe Biden. And if you're, and the, the question is, you know, to Doug, to you, you said, well, you know, he should have a couple of weeks to, you know, to be able to tell his vision. Is he going to get a couple of weeks to tell his vision? How long before we start talking about a need? We're already talking about it about Anita Hill, about the Iraq War vote, about like busing. I can go of like about busing. I mean, mm-hmm. there's so many like these things are already floating out there. Does he get a clean two or three weeks to to go out there and to give a positive message, or is he already talking about all the things that like you know that that, that are being seen as like oppo oppo hits? If you 
if you don't think he's going to get those two or three weeks, which I, I don't think he will, I, I think it'll be an onslaught from the beginning. And I think it'll be an onslaught from the beginning because I think other people are actually afraid of him in the sense that I think he has a chance of winning this thing. Then having Stacey Abrams up front makes more sense. Yeah. Yep. No, look, I You're mean, right. look, I buy that side of, I, I buy that argument. I, I, I would also say that, um, yes, there will be the oppo dump on uh, a, a number of things that you just mentioned. But I do think that how Biden handles that is also important. And I think people want to see how he handles that, right? So all of these candidates have had to go through rollout periods of time, you know, their own rollouts where uh, they have to deal with their vulnerabilities. Mm -hmm. And how they deal with those vulnerabilities is a measuring stick. And so I totally, I totally agree with you that look, I think there, are, there, are, there are arguments on both sides in terms of doing it at simultaneously. All I'm saying is I do think that there's something to say for you going out there, laying out your vision, and yeah, you're gonna get, you're gonna have to deal with a lot of negative stuff, but also how you deal with that negative stuff, how you deal with that negative press, whether it's the crime bill or Anita Hill, uh, will. I think send a message to folks in terms of your ability to handle bad stories. I don't want to belabor this, but all of those things, though, whether it's Anita Hill or the crime bill or okay, we're all Democrats here. No one thinks that Joe Biden's a racist. At least I don't think anyone here thinks he's a racist. Of course, of course not. No, no, one, no, no, no one here thinks that he hates women or you know that that he is in general disrespectful to women. I would hope not. Of course but, not. Okay, right. all right. All of these things and the Iraq war and what have you, this is all one bucket. And the bucket is is that he is a Democrat of the past. And that's where I think the Stacey Abrams thing is. It's not because she's an African-American. It's not because she's a woman. It's because she's a young African-American woman who represents where our party is going. And you know, so you've got where the party's going and where Joe Biden is. All of these things that he's dealing with are all in the same – like they're different issues – but it's all under the same genre, which is that your time has passed in this party. You've made your you've had your accomplishments, you've made your mistakes, and now it's time to move on, which is why someone like a Stacey Abrams, I think, could truly help him if she wanted to do that. No, I agree. Way, I agree. And, and on that point that you just made, Rodell, and also complimenting what you just said is the fact that a lot of these early polls so far that are looking at the general election, voters are saying we believe that Joe Biden is the most electable person, the most electable candidate that we can choose from the Democratic field right now to take on Trump and beat him. Like, mm -hmm. they think he is the one person. Maybe others can beat him, too. But right now, they truly believe that he is the yeah. ultimate candidate who can take on Trump and not just hold his feet to the fire, but beat him. Yep. So that is why it is a very interesting... I mean, that's why I think it works for somebody like him. I don't think if you're Pete... Buttigieg, it makes any sense for. Sorry if I said that wrong. No, you got I just, it right. I, 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 really, I, I like practice it at home. So you got it right. I really do. I practice it. Um, <laughs> but also sometimes. But but the point is, like, I don't think he he doesn't need this, right? He he doesn't need to complement his presidential run right now with somebody who is a more experienced legislator. Like that's not what he's going for. But if you are Joe Biden, he's in a very unique situation. It's an unconventional decision. But we are also living in unconventional times. My whole point is I just wish that it had been, you know, again, we're not sure if it was accidentally leaked or strategically leaked, but I wish that it, it had come out better because I do think, and you know, perhaps people forget the, about this in a week or two from now and then in a, right. two months, like, 
you know, it is happening and it, it's, you know, the two of them are, are doing this thing together, but mm-hmm. I think it's smart. I just think I wish, I wish the rollout had been a little bit yeah, you better. Want it, you want it to be her choice. It's not like she's a draft pick, right? Right. Like you, you want mm-hmm. it to, it be, needs her to be her choice. choice but yeah. I'll also say with, with Biden, not to get too off topic, but getting in the race, I'm actually really looking forward to this because we've had so many candidates that are tripping over like themselves to get farther to the left. And I know that he is older and he represents the older generation. And I agree mm-hmm. that, you know, bringing Stacey Abrams on gives him some sort of gravitas with, the, you know, looking mm-hmm. forward and what we want to do with the future. But people are really unnerved right now by the instability of President Trump. So, you know, looking back at somebody like Biden, somebody who represents something, a more a stabler time, he was the vice president, you know, this, it, there's something to that too. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't totally, um, you know, the fact that he does represent something from that is not necessarily a bad thing for him. No, I don't. I, and actually, I, um, I agree with that. I'm, I'm more kind of modeling and uh, projecting what I'm hearing from, you know, I'm not sure if the, and to your point, I'm not sure if the Democratic primary is as far to the left as, I mean, the squeaky wheel gets the grease. Oh, And yeah. we'll see. I'm well, not actually like, sure that like, no, like, like, for instance, in South Carolina, I don't necessarily think that the pri- that the that the primary electorate there is as liberal as like there, say in like Portland. By the way, not. seven. Yeah. I just want to remind everybody here: seven percent of Americans are on Twitter. Well, yep. yes, and can I say one thing? Like Steny Hoyer had it best. He, uh, I guess, there was a scrum out, you know, off the floor the other day, and he looked at the reporters and said, "Who we were asking about, you know, one of three members, AOC?" And he says, "Guys, there are more than three people in the freshman class." Like I want to remind you of that, which and, is but, so no, smart of him to say. But so, but you know what? The last greatest poll that we had was the midterm elections, mm-hmm. and you look down the line, with the exception of a couple, the people that won and the people that came out were, you know, kind of middle of the road. There were a lot of suburban white women um, who were disgusted by President Trump, but also were voting for these people. So, and and I say that to look forward to the twenty twenty elections. I mean. You've, you've got to look at like uh, what the electorate looks like and how we're actually going to beat Donald Trump because we can lose this. Right. Yeah. Right. Anybody who thinks that we can't is mistaken. So I think the consensus is is that we think that look strategically it's not a bad move for for Biden to do this. He probably maybe the campaign could have done a better job of of rolling it out. Um, but uh, hurry up, Doug, because we got some breaking news to talk about. Breaking news. Can there can there actually be breaking we, news on a we podcast? Can't really, we can't really do breaking news, <laughs> but we're doing it. Let doing make, it. let this stand for the record, um, because obviously the podcast that we're doing today will be posted after after right. today. Um, but we just received breaking news that um, Bob Mueller has submitted his report to Attorney General Barr. Interesting. We don't know much more than that. But oh my gosh! So and it's totally it up to Barr, right? About what he when it's released, what is released, what is redacted, and does he have right. a certain amount of time that he has before he has nope. to brief Intel? Because he doesn't. Well, I don't know about briefing Intel, Congress? but in terms of releasing it, he doesn't have any sort of time frame because he could choose to release it or not. Yeah. Right. Right. Hey, can we spend like five minutes on Pete Buttigieg? Yeah, uh, because I, I just think you know he was a he was a topic of a I lot of conversation him. this week. Uh, he had a great a, a great interview on Morning Joe. Uh, this comes on the this comes after a really uh, sort of star turn performance uh, CNN. on CNN and Austin. Um, and so you know a lot of people are talking about him, and uh, I've been impressed by Pete uh, Mayor Pete, and uh, I, I think he's he's got a lot of charisma. He's got a really fantastic uh, resume. I mean, you know, he was a Rhodes Scholar, yeah. Af- Afghanistan, 
uh, veteran. Um, he's a mayor of a small town, but you know, I think that can actually be a positive. But I'd love to get your guys' thoughts on uh, on Mayor Pete. I I mean, I love Mayor Pete, and a lot of people don't remember that he actually ran for chair of the DNC. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, I help try to help with that a little bit, but um, he's a very pragmatic, practical person. And I know that can be boring sometimes, but he is somebody who is willing to sit down and talk to people and, and not afraid to voice his positions on the issues for anybody who saw him on Morning Joe. I mean, he so boom, good. boom, 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 was able to just answer all these questions, but he's also open to talking to people and working with people. And then I think that is what's missing in some of the other candidates that have announced already. You know, they're they're just unwilling to budge. They're unwilling to talk to anybody. Um, and, and he's just really got a, a great way of approaching things um, from a principled standpoint. Yeah, I mean, if the rest of his camp, if his rest, the rest of his campaign continues to go the way that it is, you know, it's he wasn't someone even a few weeks ago that was on my radar. Um, I'm, you know, listen. This is if you're asking me what I think of him as a politician. I think he's a great politician. Um, as someone pertaining to policy, I think he's extremely smart. I'm not sure how electable he is and where the American people will be on be on him. But the fact of the matter is, is that like the American people are being introduced to him in real time. Right. So, I mean, so we should probably have this conversation again in another six weeks or eight weeks to kind of see whether mm-hmm. or not he's catching on. But he's extremely impressive. I think all of us have like, known about him or have met him beforehand. So yeah. but. As he's being introduced to the American people, I'm not sure where he is on people's minds, right? Like right now, this very much is a kind of name recognition, like, you know, I know who Bernie Sanders is. I know who Joe Biden is, you know, but can someone who is that young, and as you mentioned, all the things that I think that that are great about him, small town mayor, young, you know, are those things that will allow him to be, you know, electable? And I, and I agree with that. I mean, the thing about Mayor Pete, I think all of us can probably agree that the chances of him being the Democratic nominee to take on Trump are probably pretty slim. Mm-hmm. But he is the exact example of somebody who, why not run right now, right? Exactly, because yeah. you're getting your prof- public profile out there. You are raising important issues that will be that we should talk about as, as Democrats. And you're making a big name for yourself. I mean, part of the criticism, which I think is largely unfounded, but part of the criticism over the past, you know, 10 years, really, eight years at least, of the Democratic Party is that we don't have a bench, right? Sort of Mm -hmm. like in 2015 when Hillary and Bernie ran, like, ah, they're the only two who can really do it, or really it's just Hillary, and then of course, you know, here comes Bernie, which obviously wasn't true, but now we are helping, we are showing that not only is our bench being rebuilt, but we have an outstanding stellar number of people all of whom would right. be great presidents. Young, upcoming, Yep, young smart. and up and coming. And yeah. so if you're Mayor Pete, and you can obviously raise money, he's already announced that he's made the debate stage. Um, why would you not do this? And other candidates are struggling to get. They to, are. To, they are. And John John that. Delaney, who is, who is literally giving $2 to a charity of your choice for every $1 that you give to his com- campaign. Smart, though. I think it's, it's smart. smart. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you have people like Beto, you have, and, and, and look, there's going to be a healthy debate within the party, and there should be, and we should, you know, look at these candidates, and they should criticize each other, and they should they should work through the issues, but I think you're exactly right. We have a we have a good bench of young, upcoming people from places like Indiana and Texas, which I think is really great for the Democratic Party. Mm-hmm. Not that, you know, Indiana's going to, like, turn, there's going to be some sort of blue wave there. There's not, but... 
you know, there it's it's good that we've got these these good, practical, um, thoughtful Democrats in states that you wouldn't necessarily think. Of. Mm-hmm. Yep. yep. And look, Mayor Pete's taken advantage of every moment he's had. Yep. And when you're a tier two, tier you know, tier three candidate, you don't get a lot of opportunities. He has taken advantage of those opportunities. If has you know turned them to uh, really you know moments that he can point to and. You know, I talked to his campaign a couple of days ago, and after his uh, his town hall in C- on CNN uh, a couple of weeks ago, he raised six hundred thousand dollars that day. Now, look, everyone's like, "Well, that's not the six million that Beto raised," but you know what? Six hundred it it meant a lot for someone like him because it's a lot of money, and it shows that uh, there was a there was a ton of uh, positive feedback for how he performed there, and he performed great, and he and performed guess, great on Morning Joe too. And I would guess yeah. that a lot of that is first time money. A lot of that yeah. people didn't know him before. And by the way, Mika on Morning Joe, she said this on air as well, but she said that she and Joe together heard from more Democrats and Republicans after that interview than they've heard from anybody since that many people since Barack Obama, since mm-hmm. he did um, an interview early on. I mean, they were people are really blown away by Mayor Pete. So he's got a bright future, regardless of what he cho- what, what happens in this primary. Mm-hmm. He's going to make a great vice president to Kamala Harris. <laughs> <laughs> so, hey, let's Come go to... Let- you're killing me. <laughs> what? what? I'm, sorry. I'm just about pairing people up. I'm just thinking that was like... And <laughs> now you're just pairing people up. I'm just up. pairing people up. <laughs> Does this mean that these skills transcend to, like, matchmaking skills? Pretty much, side? yeah. <laughs> so you have, like, are you a matchmaker, Rodell? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, let's move, let's go to the, let's go real quick to media coverage of the race. There's been a lot of talk about this this week, uh, you know, in terms of whether or not there has been, um, uh, you know, greater coverage of Beto, uh, uh, Biden and Sanders versus, uh, some of the, uh, uh, the, the women candidates. So I just, you know, I want to get your sense of, of how you think the coverage of this campaign is going on has gone so far and you know does the is the media off are they doing you know are they covering each campaign fairly what do you guys think i think it i don't know case by case basis i mean i i'm gonna say it like i think the media coverage of amy klobuchar was spot on um i think right now i'll say that having known a lot of people work for i know that there was a lot of you know women are getting criticized and but having a president right now that i believe has a fundamental personality disorder um i'm not sure i want a president that treats people the way she does however you know i think that there's been a lot of criticism of you know beto for not being more substantive in his first three days on the campaign trail or you know that and trump just lives by a different standard with where Mm -hmm. the media is concerned you know Mm -hmm. so we're we're jumping all over Hickenlooper and every single word that, you know, Beto O'Rourke says. And meanwhile, the president's over here, you know, talking about paying off porn stars and paying off porn stars. Yeah. Well, listen, and Kristen, I think you make a, I have a broader criticism of the media and the way that they handle this. And it has nothing to do with this last week. It's kind of, I think just generally how the media looks at elections like this, they have people in buckets. And it's almost like you're it's it's almost a survivor kind of 
getting out of this bucket. And it's why people like Sherrod Brown, who I really had hoped would have run for president, Me too. didn't yeah. run, right? But he doesn't fit into that bucket. You you got on one, like, I'll, I'll go through the buckets really quickly. You've got like the hope and change bucket, which could also be considered, well, lightning strike twice bucket. And you've got like Cory Booker and Kamala Harris unfairly put into that bucket. How about better than that? Well, you, no, no, no. That's a concentric circle right around that just because of like, because part of this is identity politics. Then you've got this other, like this progressive like bucket. And you put like Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren in that bucket. And to a certain extent, you also probably put Sherrod Brown in there. But even that bucket is all kind of screwed up because the people that Bernie Sanders is bringing in aren't Elizabeth Warren voters. Like Bernie Sanders brings his own voters that we never had before and probably won't have after he's like long gone. But that's one bucket right there. And then you've got like this bucket, like there's like this Joe Biden kind of establishment, white Democrat, like, you know, someone who's sensible, blah, blah, blah. And then I think the last bucket is like this Hickenlooper, McAuliffe, like, you know, governor kind of bucket. And I think when you start looking at it like that, it's why people like Pete Buttigieg aren't going to get the 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 they're not going to get the look that they should, because to a certain extent, like the media knows what's putting asses in seats what people want to see. And I'll say this about Beto, regardless of his politics, that dude is a rock star. Like that is his persona. So it does not surprise me that like, you know, young, good looking guy who jumps up on counters and like seems like lively and energetic is going to get more coverage than say, for instance, like Elizabeth Warren, who's extremely smart and very thoughtful. But like when we're talking about like, like I know we're talking about the media writ writ large, but let's talk about television here for a second. You know, it doesn't surprise me that someone like a Beto O'Rourke is going to get more coverage than an Elizabeth Warren. Yeah, and look, a lot of this, as we all know, boils down to ratings. Mm -hmm. It just simply does. And this has been a not just a common complaint of, you know, strategists like us, but it's also been a a complaint that you're hearing from people, from more and more people who are viewers of, you know, connoisseurs of, you know, MSNBC and CNN and I guess Fox News, whatever. But the point is, you know, there's sort of a cycle that 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 the media decides every single day, like, you know, every single show that's on, these are like the five or six segments mm-hmm. that are going to be in every show. And they are choosing those segments in large part because of ratings. Yeah. And, you know, it's interesting in, in my work with, uh, with members, uh, the more moderate members. So there is not a day that goes by that I don't get asked by a reporter to talk about these numbers in the context of Ocasio-Cortez. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I've actually had them tell me, you know, look, it's, it's clickbait for them. So the coverage, I think at least, you know, I don't want to take it too far away from the presidential, but, you know, it, it's all about, it's about clicks. It's about, you know, what's clickbait. And the members who are actually getting stuff done and actually doing things, um, you know, Aren't aren't getting the coverage they deserve? I don't think because it's not sexy. It doesn't drive ratings. Right. No. So you no, have definitely. AOC who's like, oh, the Green New Deal, which has no details and is not going anywhere, and there's no legislative, you know, not, nothing substantive behind right. this stuff. And you and have by the way, you can oppose the, the Green scenes. New Deal and be an environmentalist yes. and be yes pro. Well, I actually I attacking actually, climate change. It's not that I I'm, I'm for all the goals of the Green New Deal, but. How are we going to get there? And and she has no plan for actually getting there, and no plan to listen to anybody else to work but with. She but, like, but she, she drives the agenda. She has an ability, and it's yes. not that's not just the media's fault, by the way. That is also social media. She's got a huge presence on Twitter. It's Her social. followers retweet. I mean, they are yes. 
It yes, is a... But, but it is, I mean, the... Well, perpetuated. Yeah. Yes, well, we've also idea. talked yeah. about this. Listen, pragmatism isn't, like, sexy, right? Like, and you know what's funny about this? Going back to, like, the Beto work, because I think everyone, like I said, like, everyone is assigned a thing. Like, you know, Elizabeth Warren, the Harvard professor, Beto O'Rourke, like, the young kind of, like, rock star, like, you know, Kamala Harris, Cory Booker, the next coming of Obama, and everything like that. Um, if you look at someone like a Beto O'Rourke, and, and I think this is actually what pisses off the Sanders people more than anything, because I don't know how much you follow this on social media. Man, they hate him. Oh, yeah, they, they do. They, they, they hate, hate him a lot. And, and you know the reason they hate him is because people just assume that because Beto O'Rourke is, like, this young, kind of he swears and all this stuff, that he's, like, super progressive. Like, he's left the center. but like, Left of center, not, right. But he's, but he's not, like, super like super out there progressive. And I think it pisses off the Sanders people because like he's eating into their, to, to, to their pie almost in a way. Right. But like, no one says like, Oh, Beto O'Rourke, he's a pragmatist. Although he is kind of a pragmatist. You, you have to be, if you're going to run in El Paso, Texas. Cause right? I, like, I would yeah. say he is more progressive, but he is a pragmatist. But he is a pragmatist, right? But you can be a pragmatic what... progressive, by the also, way. Also, pr yeah. pragmatic is, you know the liberal lion, right? Like yeah. Kennedy was a was a liberal and the pragmatist, and he actually worked with the other side. Because mm -hmm. guess what? Yeah. That's how you get stuff done. Yeah, but no one's saying that he's pragmatic. They're like his role in this is to be like the young, like getting people energized, jumping up on coffee tables or anything like that. You know, I mean, he's what so, he needs to be. Let me uh, ask you guys to, this to anybody. Let me ask you guys this: Do you think it is okay that he does not have? major policy rollouts right now or he's not taking like a, a stand on major policies or coming up with his own you know new bold policy ideas like Elizabeth yes. Warren Bernie Sanders because I do too but I want to hear yes. why you think that I think that because you know too often and and we're seeing this let's take Medicare for all you look at all these candidates they're tripping over their themselves say I'm for Medicare for all I'm for Medicare they don't know what that really even means. Correct. Right? So we're criticizing him for not saying that. Now, if you go one layer deeper with these other candidates, they don't even know what they mean by Medicare for all generally. Yeah, they, so, and they don't explain that or you, they have you don't get to choose your own health insurance. Yeah, they don't. They, so I actually think it makes sense to have a slow and steady rollout of policy positions. I've done that with campaigns, not on the presidential level, but on the state level. Um, or statewide campaigns, and and I think it makes so much sense. I mean, you obviously know um, mm -hmm. Hillary did a really successful listening tour. You know, and I think that's it's what I he's gathering doing. information, right. listening to people, and telling people that you're going to listen to them, and and it buys them time. Well, and also it's not smart to look. You're going to have to take a position on things. I get that, but but to go super specific on exactly what you want, it's my way or the highway. That's what Bernie's done his whole career, and how successful has he been at actually legislating? Correct. Not at all. Right. So, you know, I, I, I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing. And also, we're both comms people, so I don't like to, you know. Yeah. <laughs> right. So, let's, let's not make anybody mad, you know. Exactly. I, exactly. Well, yeah, I tend to, just real quick, on that, I, 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 I'm sorry, I tend to agree with Kristen. I, I think a few things. And I think it was Paul Waldman wrote a really great piece about this, and he was, um, he was talking about Elizabeth Warren. He was talking about Amy Klobuchar. Taking Sanders out of it, um, you know, because I have a feeling that his his voting record's probably different. If you look at the folks that are running, especially in the Senate, their voting records are all within about a point or two of each other. Like they're 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 all in the high eighties. I think maybe one of the two of them might be in the high nineties as far as like your quote unquote liberal li liberal rating. They're all kind of in the same area of what they would do. And so the question is, is this a policy? There, there have been elections that are policy elections, 
and there have been elections that are vision elections. I would say that this is a vision election. And going back to what Paul Waldman wrote, he was talking about how Elizabeth Warren comes at it from the perspective of like, here are all the things that you know the banks and the man and everyone else is doing to screw us. We should be angry. We need to take this back. Amy Klobuchar comes at it from the point of, hey, I think we should all work together in order to get what we need. And like, there's a way that we can all kind of like, you know, like a rising boat, you know, you know, rising tide lifts all boats or have you. Those are two completely different worldviews and say nothing about whether or not, you know, they're going to cut this tax or do this or so on and so forth. So I'm actually okay with Beto. I think there's another piece too. I think that, um, and I'm seeing this a little bit too much. I don't care whether it's the green deal or Medicare for all and all that. Listen, I am like principally a progressive. I like all this stuff. I also know that one, we can't pay for it. And two, we're not going to have the Senate to actually pass it. So what I don't want is for our folks to kind of like raise the stakes of what they're going to do as president and then not be able to to deliver on it because Republicans pretty much did that for eight years on immigration and And repealing repealing Obamacare. And that's how you get brought. I'm sorry. That's how you get Donald Trump. Is when, like, after, like, you continually, like, raise the hopes of your people and you're pretty much lying to them of what you can actually get done. And then finally they, like, turn on you. So I don't – it doesn't bother me that Beto O'Rourke doesn't know exactly what he's going to do because, one, I think he has time. And, two, if you were to come out there with a whole bunch of pronouncements, the, the chances are that even as president, he wouldn't be able to – he might be able to set an agenda. But, like, we're not passing Medicare for all. Like, that's not happening without 60 – Without 60 votes in the Senate, you know, and probably to tell you the truth, more than 60 votes more in the Senate. More than 60 votes. We all know yeah. how hard – we are all there. We all know how yeah. hard it was to even mm-hmm. yeah. get the Affordable Care Act passed. So. Uh, all good points. <laughs> One thing I would just add to the conversation about the media is that, um, you know, most people don't get their information, their news information from MSNBC, CNN, or Fox. They get it from their local news, right? And I think that if you talk to most of these campaigns – Sinclair. Yeah, in some yeah, definitely in some markets, right? But if you talk to, I think if you talk to a lot of these campaigns, and I I think that their what they're focused on is those local clips, right? When they're in New Hampshire, Iowa, or South Carolina, they're going to want to try to get their candidates those good headlines or front page stories on the local newspapers, get them on local radio, get them on local TV. So. MSNBC and CNN help uh, in part with uh, you know the chattering class inside of, of Washington and fundraising, but in terms of actually moving voters and influencing voters, it's that earned media you get in these battleground local markets that makes all the difference in the world. So I just think that you know the 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 talk about well is the you know is the national media covering these candidates unfairly or too much i mean i i think it's a le- legitimate conversation to have but i also think that look ultimately it is about um for these campaigns it's how they're doing in uh these local markets and how they're able to generate uh, earned media uh in some of these early battleground states yeah, I think that's right. And by the way, on a staffing front, that's why hiring really strong communications directors in early states is really, really, really vital. Right, right. I, I've always said that. You know, it's it's funny. I mean, Doug, you were the DCCC press secretary at one point, you know. I mean, I've always said you need to hire good and strong communication staff um, earlier. And some of our friends on 
on the policy and uh, uh, fundraising sides don't necessarily agree with us. Well, yeah. I mean, look, I think that they've, I think you've got to, you can help, you can do a lot to help your fundraising by generating good press. Well, look, I mean, look at Stephanie Murphy, who's a congresswoman from Florida. Um, she beat John Micah, a 24 year incumbent Republican in the Orlando area, won by four points last term. This, I mean, this last cycle in 2018, she won that same seat by 16 points. And it's because she's aggressive on the communications front. She says, I can do all the things that I want to do, but if I don't communicate them to my constituents, they'll never know. That's right. And she's an excellent communicator. She is. Really, really good. So, hey, last uh, topic before um, I let you guys go. The uh, organization Move On has uh, called on Democratic candidates to not attend the APAC conference that is taking place in Washington, D.C. And so I just wanted to get your guys' thoughts on this uh, larger conversation about not only APAC, but um, the attacks that the president has made on our party uh, in terms of being anti-Israel, anti-Semitic. You know, what is that? What is the motivation around that? Uh, And what can we do as a party to... uh, Push back on it. What do you got? What whether or not you think our candidates and other Democrats should be attending the APAC conference? Well, I mean, listen. I I think to the point we were just talking about going out into the battleground states and what have you. I mean, listen. I think you make your decisions on what you go to and why you go to it based on whether or not it's going to. Like we're we're talking about this from in the in the terms of presidential elections, right? Like you go to it if you think it's going to help you. If you think that there's a better way to spend your time, then you don't go to it. That being said, I am 100. I want to be 100 clear on this. All of our candidates support Israel. Um, I don't think that that in itself is a that in itself is a question. I think that we can have disagreements with an ally, and we can also, by the way, have disagreements with the leaders. Of, of countries that we support in the right. same way that there might be people who not a big fan, I'm not a big fan of Benjamin Netanyahu, not at all. You know, that being said, I can still support Israel in the same way that I'm sure there are a lot of people that are rooting for America, but not so much for Donald Trump. And, you know, I'll tell you, a lot of people who are members of AIPAC aren't fans of Netanyahu. Yeah, exactly. So the idea of doing it because or, or, or not going to an event because you're being pressured not to. I, I, I don't believe in that. And I don't care who the I don't care what the event is, and I actually don't care who the who the group is. Um, but you know, doing I think all of these 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 candidates throughout the time that they're running are going to have to talk about their foreign policy worldview. And I can't I cannot I, I couldn't believe that 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 in that continuing a strong alliance with Israel would not be part of that foreign policy worldview. Exactly. And I'm just not sure, and we've discussed this before, but politicizing our relationship with Israel is the right way to go. And Move On is has done that um, by making that demand of these candidates. And uh, the president's doing it by, you know, announcing what he announced three weeks before their election. So, you know, our relationship with this country, like Rodell said, you can, you can be, um, you know, have a good relationship with the country and not agree with their leader, which I agree with you on Netanyahu, but our this relationship is going to go forward past Netanyahu and past Donald Trump. 
Mm-hmm. So, you know, we don't need this to be a Republicans versus Democrats type of thing. And on that final note, I just want to also say that I think one of the reasons why this even is becoming a quasi-media story beyond just like, you know, a couple print stories, why it's actually got some legs to it, is the fact that Donald Trump has tried perpetually and has made it clear perpetually that he believes that Democrats are anti-Jewish, that we do not support Israel, we do not support the Jewish faith, which of course is absurd. But it's also his way of manipulating the media mm-hmm. to cover the things that he wants to cover. Like, he is driving this agenda. The media still, to a large extent, I think they're much better about it. They're not covering his rallies like they used to. The press briefings aren't happening anymore, like, for the most part, because no one was covering them. Or they refused collectively as an association to, to not cover them. Um, but you're still dealing with a media that sort of falls prey to his tactics. And they're not necessarily genius. He just knows how to do it. Well, and he and he thrives on dividing our country, and that's what's so difficult, at least for me. I mean, he he likes divisiveness. He likes that, and he thrives on it. If anybody saw his COO was on, I think I believe Me New Day or CNN the other day, his his former COO mm-hmm. of the Trumpet Hotels or whatever, and he said, you know, this man has a mean streak. Mm. He likes. He thrives on hurting people. And, you know, stopping short of like, you know, being a doctor and making a diagnosis that he's like, this is a, it's a problem. And so he's, he's doing this to our country. He likes this, you know, he, he, he's dividing us. Um, right. And it's just dangerous when it comes to the, to the foreign policy space. Yeah. And listen, and I think on the domestic piece of this, and like uh, Paul Waldman actually also wrote a great piece on this. Um, you know, th- th- there's a reason why. So many Jewish Americans are Democrats, and it has to do with their beliefs, um, how how many of their religious beliefs line up with democratic principles and philosophy. I don't think that that changes, and it's almost like a little bit offensive. It's kind of like like earlier in his presidency where, where Donald Trump was pretty much like, hey, I know Donald King, and like Kanye West is coming over to my side. I know black people. Black people are going to start mm-hmm. coming over to me. And it's like, you know, like as a person of color, it's a little bit offensive to me that it's like, yeah, because you know a couple of black people, we're going to like leave the Democratic Party in droves or what have you. And, and I think that there are probably many Jewish Americans, the ones that are actually even paying attention to this, right. that, are, that, mm-hmm. that, that might be looking at this and saying like, yeah, no, I, I, I don't for one second believe you or yet, you know, yet alone believe you when you say that the Democratic Party are anti-Semitics, like, you know, so... But it's not going to stop him from trying. And um, he lies. Yeah, he mm-hmm. lies. All the well, time. and, you know, let's not forget that, you know, there was a in Charlottesville uh, a year ago or so you had um, Nazis fine, fine marching, 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 saying Jews will not replace us. Mm-hmm. And um, the president could barely condemn them. And then he also said that there were fine people on both sides. And you also have had, you know, rhetoric in within the Republican Party. Um, or in what just happened in New Zealand when he didn't. Right, right. And um, and so I just I, I think that, you know, look, Democrats have done a very good job over the years in terms of, um, uh, um, I think, reaching out to Jewish Americans. Jewish Americans overwhelmingly vote for Democrats. And you've seen uh, in Congress right now, there are 36 members of uh, 36 members of Congress who are Jewish and two of them are Republicans. So it seems like it's the Republican Party who needs to do a much better job of reaching out to Jewish Americans, 
uh, and making them feel like there's a place for them in that party because right now it doesn't seem like they either are reaching out to them or uh, or if or making a you know a place for them in the party. So um, this has been a fantastic episode. Thanks for having us, guys. Thank the happy has. hour. It's been a great the episode. Happy hour. It's been great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you guys for taking away time from your baseball. Wa- I mean, I'm sorry, basketball <laughs> watching. Basketball. <laughs> it's it's called the NCAA <laughs> tournament. The sports, the sports ball. Yes. Yeah. yeah. The sports ball. <laughs> exactly. It's sports ball. It's the NCAA tournament. Um, Kristen Hahn, Rodell yes. Molino, two of the best, two of our closest friends, and um, I hope you guys will come back. And uh, maybe we'll we'll do it in. Uh, I mean, if you have rosé, yeah, we'll, yeah, yeah. yeah, and Bud Light, Bud Light. rosé and Bud Light, <laughs> <laughs> cheap dates. Just exactly. Right <laughs> We've got cheap wine and cheap beer, but it's good. Yeah. The good thing is, is I'm told. But high price consultants. I'm told. I'm told by. I'm told by your handlers that you're going to be uh, sticking around to uh, do our, our our episode on the Power Five for the week. So we appreciate yeah. that. Yeah. Thanks, guys. Yeah. Elrod, that was fun, right? That was fun. I love having our friends on the show. Me too. So for Adrian Elrod, I'm Doug Thornell. This has been The Electables, and we will catch you next time. <laughs>